Welcome to the Mindful Runner Podcast, a show about running and racing, trail and ultra in South Africa. Along the way, we'll be talking training, gear, nutrition, and mindfulness, all in the context of the South African racing scene. I'm your host, Fred Richardson, founder and head coach at Mindful Runner. Stay tuned as I do my best to give you all the information and none of the waffle. I'm joined today by Gavin Robenheimer. He's a mountain guide. He's a climber, probably the most experienced person in the Drakensberg, a true expert. And he's the guy who set the Drakensberg Grand Traverse FKT. Gavin, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, hi there, Fred. Gavin, in the light of there's, a, there's now a DGT race scheduled for November 2022, you're the guy who first set this route. What were your thoughts? Why did you set the route in the first place? Uh, I was hiking, obviously, at the time, and I'd been hiking for many years. I'd, in fact, never walked the entire berg in one go from the Free State border down to the Eastern Cape border, which was next. So it had always been on my mind. That route had been done many times over the years. I don't know if you were the first person to ever do it. But what did catch my eye was, my, my mind was that I'd heard of various people claiming they'd walked this, that route in the fastest time. There wasn't, but there was no criteria to it or where you actually started or any, anything like that or should you go over certain peaks and so on. So I just, you know, I had this idea, well, if people are going to claim that they can do it in the fastest time, then we must have a start time, a start place and a start end. And uh, that's 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 how it started. And, and I, I'd had that thing in mind for about four or five years before I actually went and, and ran the thing. The, the idea of going over the six highest peaks in the Berg, um, that, that was partly to capture people's imagination about things, that you're not just running from A to B, but that you're going over the highest peak in South Africa and the highest in Southern Africa. And, and the other, the other reason that those peaks are there is to, it was to stop somebody running from point A to point B and running, for instance, into Lesotho and just running along the tar road or, or, or something like that or along the contrapath that it keeps you on top of the Drakensberg. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, so I might question your choice of giants as, as one of those points. Uh, it's a big detour to get to giants <laughs> and back onto the route, yeah? Well, yeah, it's, it's a long way out there and you're tired by that stage. Um, but it's one of the highest and most prominent peaks in the Berg, so we had to include it. Yeah, I think when, when you go out there and you go all the way out to that beacon, you don't, you feel like you don't want to be there, but, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear the story. So take me back to that first attempt. You guys started out Sentinel. It's early in the morning and there's, there's three of you going. Talk me through the story. Um, I'd got this other chip, uh, Robin Gardner and, I, in fact, worked with him I, at the time. He, he was in the office next door to me. He was a trail runner. In fact, in those days, we didn't call them. We were just called mountain runners or something like that, cross-country runners. And my older brother, who's actually a better better uh, person to, to run than I am. So I've I got, I got the two of them included in the, in the idea. We chose a time in summer when you've got long daylight hours. We chose it when when the moon will be rising just after sunset, so you've got time to run into the night like that easily. And when we set off from Sentinel Car Park at 
I think it was four in the morning. Um, it was a time of, you know, you're very feeling very, um, good and, and kind of motivated. You know, I knew that we could go all the way. We just didn't know what time, how long it was going to take us. Bearing in mind that certainly I had sort of come out of retirement from running. I'd, I'd run seriously when I was in matric and just after, after, after school. But but I my my interest in running had kind of waned, so I started I had to go and train for this thing and get up to some sort of reasonable level of fitness to actually run it. Um, so yeah, that that morning was a, it was a great morning. We set off and uh, covered lots of ground very quickly. Along the way, though, you you ended up Robin had problems and and he had to he had to go down right. About it was about two weeks before he had been training by himself south of Saoni Pass, near San Leni area. And uh, he was just running along, and a pack of dogs ran out from a, from a kraal nearby, and they, they went for him, and there were about, a pack of about eight of them, apparently. And he was bitten all over, and including on his thigh by a large dog. And in fact, if the owner hadn't have come out, he probably would have been killed by these things. He used to have fought them off and was, uh, they had him on the ground in the river and partly in a river eventually. And the owner ran out luckily and beat them off. And, and he was held back, back to Tobasani by, by the shepherd and so on. But what it meant is that when we started off, he had um, these bad bite wounds in his legs and, and there were still kind of weeping and so on. And he, and he also had all the medication for anti-rabies and uh, tetanus in him. So he wasn't feeling very well. And by the end of the first day, when we got to um, just, we slept our first night just in a little cave near the bottom, near the top of Mlambondra Pass, um, he said, no, that's it. He, he can't go on any longer because these, these wounds are kind of weeping and he was in pain and stuff, just feeling bad. So he went down Mlambondra Pass and Laurie and I, we, we went on. At that stage, were you still all still psyched, all still in for it, or did it did it kind of drop the spirits, Robin being out? Yeah, no, it was. It was a, it was a you know not nice. We always intended to do it all, all three of us, and he he couldn't do it. And uh, and and I and I think the other thing is, out of the, the three of us, I was probably the weakest runner out of all of us. Um, they had more experience and were fitter. Came came from us sort of more of a background of running fitness than I did with the time. And the rest of that trip, so all the way through the Bushmans, was it pretty much uneventful? Was it just a slog through the berg? I mean, what was going on? Um, it was, uh, well, it is a bloody long slog all, all the way. We didn't have any particular excitement other than I remember there was a bit of a thunderstorm on top of Champagne Castle. We kept going on through it, for better or for worse. The only other one was... The night that we were approaching um, Tabana and Liniana, going down the down the Makotlong Valley, a big a big storm hit us that night, and we we were running. This is about midnight or something. We we're moving down the valley, and all the all the streams were pouring water out of them. And and when we slept that night somewhere in a valley uh, just north of Tabana and Liniana. In the morning, we couldn't cross certain one of the rivers in front of us, and we had to do one of these things. We detour upstream until you can cross smaller rivers and that to, to get around it. And it probably cost us a couple of hours or something. But 
and also mean, meant that we were walking and running and in, yeah, in mud and, and with heavy shoes on with rain and stuff like that. And that's probably one of the things that people, when you look at the Drakensberg from town uh, on the South African side and you look up at that escarpment, you don't understand just how much water there and mud there is on top, right? At, at any yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, yeah. And, and it was uh, that storm that we had that night was probably the only really real eventful rain that slowed us down or anything. Um, we still knew where we were and you know, where we had to get to, but it was just, yeah, a bit of a, bit of a, a not so pleasant night. And we, you know, we slept out in our, in our bivy bags in the rain that night in the wet grass. It wasn't pleasant. Yeah, the, the technology has improved a heck of a lot since since you guys did it, right? I mean, nowadays, yeah, everything is bivy bags, gear. It's all lighter and easier to pack. No, no, and carry. no. We we had that. We had, we had you know just 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 our, 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 our bivy bags and so on. So it was light enough, but still, sleeping at night in in, in long grass and the wet is not pleasant, no matter how much technology you've got around. Well, unless you're in a tent. Okay, so. You guys get to Bushman's Neck. Uh, the time was the time four days, nine hours, yeah. thirty nine minutes, which was a which is a fine time considering that it took another was it eight or nine years before the guys even started to challenge. And I remember watching the the emails bouncing around the adventure racing group. Someone had got a hold of your of your report. A fire was lit, and people wanted to now take on this this FKT. And there were a lot of attempts in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. There were a whole lot of attempts. I think even a, a sort of not a race, but a, an event in which a bunch of people got together. Andrew Robinheimer, not Andrew Robinheimer, Andrew Porter was one of those, Bruce Arnett, a bunch of other people as well. But it wasn't until I think Stain Linen and um, Andrew Hagen ran faster than you guys in about 2008. This record stood for a long time. Do you remember when, when I, the, the time I'm talking about when this? There was a yeah, lot of yeah, yeah, interest yeah, no, in there the There were a whole bunch of people who tried it over the years. Our record stood for a little bit less than 10 years, I think it was, and around about the eight-year mark or something like that. There were a bunch of, bunch of people who tried it, yeah. I don't think any of them actually finished it. I think, was it Stan Lauren? I think they were the first ones to actually finish it in a faster time, but all the others, I don't think anybody really got further than maybe Mafadi or something like that. Yeah, I think it was, it was again, a lot of surprises and, and guys trying to go super light. I know that, that Andrew Porter has bailed off that route, I don't know how many times. I mean, he now has solo records in both directions, but he bailed off that route yeah. countless times. And that's actually a good question, the bailout, in terms of if you are going on that route and you are going super light, you have to know the passes. Yeah, you obviously have to know where, if you want to come down, which which are the better passes to to, to exit on if you if you have to. But look, there are many many passes in the berg that are that one can simply just walk down. There's no, there's, no, there's not a big issue about them. I suppose there would be an issue if you couldn't find the thing that was in mist or something like that. When when you set that first record and, and you watched all these attempts going on, I mean, did you ever picture the fact that uh, Ryan Sands and, and Rainer Fussell would do it in like forty one hours and nineteen minutes? It seems like an impossible time. No, 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 no. I I'd always thought when we did it, so we we didn't know when to really start to let go and go start trying to go faster. 
So yeah, we did 104 hours. I thought that if I did it a second time, I could do it with more training and just knowing, so say, when to really start to push hard. Maybe, maybe sort of the 80 hour mark would be there. And I always thought that obviously the people are faster than, than us, but the record would get down to like 70 hours or something like that. The, the 41 hours I would never ever have thought was possible. You have probably the most experience on the Drakensberg on the planet. What are the risks that the runners are going to encounter on that route that they should really be aware of? Look, I don't think there are any any risks over and above the kind of normal things. You know, you could twist your ankle, break your ankle. I guess it's not really a risk, but is that people might underestimate what exactly they're in for unless they've done it before or they've done a lot of hiking along the top of the berg. Yeah, it's it's a long way, 220-odd kilometers, and it gets, you know, one valley starts to look pretty much like like the, like the next eventually. So that, that could be a thing. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say boredom, but yeah, it's a long, long way. And, and those stretches when you're going up and over to Bane and Finiana and stuff that goes on and on and on and on. So I, I don't, I don't think there are any great risks. You've heard about dogs. Um, it's, there have been a couple of incidences where people have been bitten by dogs, but, you know, most of the time, those, those, the city dogs, they understand stones. That's what the owners do. They throw stones at them and they understand those. And, and maybe it's not a bad idea to carry some, some spray, some, some pepper, pepper, pepper spray if you did encounter dogs badly or something. But then I don't think this is not a big issue or something. Snakes are not an issue in the Drakensberg. You know, every now and once in a while, somebody gets bitten by a snake. I've been bitten by a snake in the bird. You don't die from the thing. It gives you a bad, gives you a bad couple of days, sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think there's any sort of kind of risk that people have to worry about that there's some major issue. <clears throat> We've got probably a lot of people who haven't been up on the bird, and I know that uh, the guys are saying that. For the event, you have to attend at least one of their training camps, which will be up on the Heiberg and, and on part of the route. So at least everybody who's running the race will have some experience by the time they get to the event. So hopefully that takes care of that. But that boredom thing, like you, I think one of the biggest challenges is the sense of scale because there is nothing to – you. you're at the bottom of Leslie's Valley going towards um, Mafadi, and it's eight kilometers long, and you – you can't see that with your eye because you have no reference points. So that boredom, and, and you seem to just be walking forever and getting nowhere until you yeah. have a look at your watch and see yeah. that you're actually moving. It's a, it's, a, it's a long way. When it comes to, to water, is water fairly easy to get throughout the, the route? Yeah. Um, the, the only time I think that you might have some issues, or and I've heard of people, more, more hikers, not so much runners, having issues is, is in July or if, if you have these very dry periods, sometimes late July, August and into September before the rain really starts when, when small streams and that have dried up. From a running point of view, you're moving from one valley, one major valley to, to the next fairly fast. So the chances that you're not going to get water is, is very, very slim. This race is coming up now in November. Normally by that stage, there is 
you know, I would say lots of water, but certainly enough. You're not going to, you know, if you, if you, if you end up becoming dehydrated, it must, you must be doing something stupid because there's water in every little valley and it's all clean water. Okay. So the route itself is self-navigated. Um, and obviously GPS is going to be the chosen method of, of navigation. Do you think that the GPSs are, are good enough for traversing the berg on this route? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that there are, and I'm sure that the the organisers will probably allow people to download the route onto a GPS. It might be compulsory. I'm not sure about that site, but on various running sites, the, the GPS track is available, and I think there are a few different alternatives that you can download. Back in 99, we had a GPS with us, but we didn't use it. Um, GPS technology and our knowledge of it wasn't very good in those days. So we actually carried this, this thing along, but never used it. We used maps and a compass at times. And, uh, I, I think that's one of the big differences, like nowadays, without trying to put uh, some other new, new angle on things. One wonders what time people could do if they didn't have a GPS to have to navigate, um, which was always our kind of intention of it. But the idea of using a GPS and setting a, you know new times with it. Well, yes, I know we can't take it away, but if people actually had to read the map and find a way, it would make a big difference. I think on the times available. Yeah, I think we've covered all the questions. Gavin. Have you got anything that you, that, that you think we should add? Oh, I, I, I think, I think there, there's one thing which, which caught us out. You know, we had done some training, um, up in the Berg. I remember my, my, my brother and I ran from top of Langa Lulabilele, I think it was, across to Judge Pass. It was a training run and it all went very well. Um, we jogged along the top of the Berg and we had little day packs with us, but when we actually started our attempt, our bags were just that much heavier and we found that we couldn't run properly and we ended up walking fast most of the time. Because because of the altitude, um, you can train as much as you want basically at sea level and then you go up higher up and it's just that much less less oxygen with a little bit of a bag on your back and, you, and you're carrying a little bit extra because you think, mm, I'm not sure how long this is going to take me and that caught us out quite badly. On our first day, we realized that we, we, were, we were suffering more trying to run, even jog, than just walking very fast. And we only ended up running down hills and stuff like that, not, not as we had trained to do to better jog uphill, for instance. What, what did you guys eat? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't particularly remember that we had anything. You know, we, we had some energy biscuits and, yeah, the, the, the usual kind of stuff. Yeah. Kevin, thank you very much. I hope I never have to phone you for a rescue. But... <laughs> Good to find yeah, yeah. you. <laughs> that was Gavin Robenheimer, who, along with his brother Laurie, set the original Drakensberg Grand Traverse FKT, the same route that is now used by the Drakensberg Grand Traverse Trail Race. A route that is the most exciting race for any ultra runner, any mountain runner in South Africa today. This is the first episode in a series. Look out for the others as they drop. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to know more about Mindful Runner, check us out at mindfulrunner.co.za 
on Instagram. You can find us at Mindful Runner. In the meantime, enjoy your running, happy trails, and don't forget to subscribe.